So you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. While you're turning there, I will just say very quickly, what I'm going to be teaching tonight, most of it has been pulled and adapted from a book that I wrote and published at the end of last year through the church. It's called Struggle and Surrender, A Roadmap Through the Wilderness. It is a study through the life of Jacob, and it's aimed primarily at at, uh, young folks, folks my age or younger, but it's certainly for everybody. And um, it's it's a discipleship guide, and it's, uh, it's just Bible study through the, the life of Jacob. We've been going through it with our young adults. Uh, it's been great. And so if you're interested, you can check out our website, calvarychapeltrustful.com, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Genesis 25. Can I say, too, that I'm excited because tonight, or last night, I should say, when I was preparing, and I had something else planned to talk about, and the Lord just, it wasn't happening. I was trying to prepare and get ready, and it just wasn't happening, and directed me to this that I've taught before, and, you know, I, I, Lord, I don't want to teach the same thing again that I've taught somewhere else before, and, but as I was preparing today, the Spirit was just speaking, and I'll tell, the, the, Lord is, the Lord is ready to say something to some of y'all tonight, all of us, hopefully, but especially, like, if, if you're here for the first time, and you're not quite sure why you came, maybe somebody's been bugging you, and you finally came, your wife finally dragged you, your parents finally brought you here, or you've just been crying out, God, where are you? God, speak to me. God's got something for you tonight. That has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with Jesus and his Holy Spirit who's here with us tonight. Isn't that wonderful? So the question I get most often when I tell people that I'm a pastor, oh, well, how old are you? And I'll know that I'm no longer a young pastor when I stop getting that question. How old are you? Wow. And the answer is I'm 30 years old. I was born in 1991, which makes me a card-carrying millennial. Ooh. Some of y'all are going to be preached to by a millennial tonight, so I don't know how you feel about that, but there, you, there it is. There you go. Which means I was raised under that infamous, everybody's a winner, everybody's special, everybody gets a trophy. We had all those posters with a whale jumping over the moon that said peace on it everywhere, and you know, that's, that's how I was raised. I'm one of those kids. I'm one of those people, and that was what we heard all the time. You're special. No one has ever been like you. You are just wonderful and just great. And that's a nice thing to teach to kids, right? There are other worse things you could teach to kids. But that's, you know, we, we look at that with some, some irony now. And I want to kind of explain a little bit to you how we have reacted to that. And the answer is not well. And I will tell you why. Because alongside of that message, you are special and everything is wonderful, was another lesson being taught which is the accident of existence. There was nothing, and then it blew up. And then there was this really hot rock, and there was a squishy thing on it. And then that squishy thing turned into something else, and that squishy thing turned into something else. And now here you are, a slightly more sophisticated squishy thing. Isn't that special? And we were supposed to feel lucky. Aren't you glad that everything blew up in just the right way so that you could be here? But here's the deal. Kids are smart. And they put it together after a while. If we are adrift in an indifferent universe, a speck on a speck in the vast expanse of time that neither knows us nor cares about us, are we really so special? And that cognitive dissonance, you're special and yet you mean nothing. Those two ideas banging together in heads of people my age has given rise to a very dark despair about life. We are the most depressed, the most anxious, the most medicated, the most suicidal generation ever. 
and the one behind us is coming up just like we did. And I think this is summed up, and I think it's appropriate that I give a pop culture reference because that kind of sums us up too. The sarcasm and the attitude that people my age have believed, perhaps you, one of your kids or your nephews, you yourself are familiar with an adult cartoon called Rick and Morty. And it kind of outlines its philosophy in a very popular phrase that has been applied well beyond the show. It says, nobody exists on purpose, nobody belongs anywhere, everybody's going to die, come watch TV. Oh, you laugh. There are people I know that claim that as their life philosophy. Finally, somebody's telling us the truth. Finally, somebody's willing just to come out and own it and say it. Nobody exists on purpose. It's the sad, cynical lesson that my generation has learned. But as long as we're comparing cartoons. I was a 90s kid, but I was also a church 90s kid. Which means I've seen way more veggie tales than you can shake a stick at. So, what did Bob and Larry tell us at the end of every episode? Remember, God made you special and he loves you very much. Now, is that just the same sickly, sweet, sticky stuff that you learned in your enrichment classes? It's not. What's the difference? Those first three words, God made you. That changes everything. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You exist on purpose. Maybe nobody has ever told you that. Maybe nobody has ever looked you in the eye and said, you exist on purpose. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe you believed it and you grew up and went to college and you changed your mind. Somebody got in your face and made fun of you in your dorm and now you're not so sure anymore. I intend to remind us tonight. And that's something we say in the church all the time, isn't it? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. We love that because it's two Ps, plan and purpose. It sounds real good together. But is it true? I intend to demonstrate from the scriptures that not only does God love us, he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. So as we step out to combat this attitude and this lie, we'll not just be saying it because it's a nice thing to say, but we'll be standing on the authority of the scriptures and the word of God when we do it. Somebody's gonna get set free from all that tonight. Are you excited? You excited? Genesis chapter 25 We'll read verses 19 through 23. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Isaac is the promised child. If you're reading through the book of Genesis, we're waiting for Isaac for a long time. Well, finally, he's here. The promise is secure for another generation. And yet he and his wife also are unable to have children for 20 years. Doesn't give us the dates in this, this chapter here, but Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, and he was 60 years old when the twins were born. That's 20 years of barrenness waiting for a child to be born. Some of you know what that's like. Waiting, 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 until finally the Lord answers their prayer. But Rebekah is given a difficult pregnancy, and she cries out, why is this happening to me? We had four children. We heard that cry every once in a while in our house. 
And of course, the answer is she was having twins. Back then, they had no way of knowing if you were going to have twins or not. She just knows that there's a, there's a wild child inside of me. Why is this so hard? Why is that so difficult? Wisely, she goes to the Lord. And in verse 23, she is given a remarkable prophecy of their temperaments and their destinies. Some of you moms, God has given you words from the Lord for your children. Rebecca was given one too. And he says, both of them are going to be mighty nations. And we know this. Esau would rise up to be the nation of Edom. They would conquer the desert and be a thorn in the side of everybody around them. And of course, the other one would be named Jacob, but his name would be changed later to what? Israel, the mightiest of nations. And But God says to her, the older shall serve the younger. God was messing with the usual order of things. Back then, Firstborn son got a double portion. It was in God's law. It's still the law in many parts of the world. It's still largely practiced by us, although we tend to give more equality to our children. That's kind of how we are as Americans. But back then, you didn't do this. And God chose the younger instead. Now, you might say, why? The first chance God gets to have more than one option to receive the promise, he chooses the more unlikely one. Why? Well, you might say, well, God knows. God knew that Jacob was going to be born and just be the best little boy and be perfect and never do anything wrong and treat everybody fairly and kindly. And Yeah, you're chuckling because you've read the story, haven't you? Jacob did not deserve anything. (laughs) Neither did Esau. In fact, you read the story, nobody comes off very well, do they? God has to quite literally break Jacob and make him do the right thing at the end of the story. So why Jacob? Well, Romans tells us, Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, you can turn there or you can listen, he's referring to this story. Paul said, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, as Paul quotes from Malachi there. What is, what is Paul saying? The reason God chose Jacob wasn't because of anything Jacob or Esau had done, but that God's purpose of election might continue. Purpose. God is asserting at his first opportunity sovereignty over his promise. Genesis 3.15 said that this child to be born would be the one that would lead to the Messiah, who would crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 12, this is the one that would bless all the nations. And so at his first opportunity, God shows that he's sovereign. This is not in the hands of people and their laws and traditions. God chose Jacob because he could, and to remind us that he could that it is not your flesh that matters, it is faith that matters, and it is my purpose that matters. So I think we can say clearly, Jacob existed on purpose. God had a reason for him to exist. He hand-picked him to be his man. So how might it change your life if you knew that the same thing was true of you? If you're a skeptic, just turn it off for a minute. Just answer this question. If it was true, that God had handpicked you like he handpicked Jacob, how might that change your outlook from now on? Just consider that. Because I intend to demonstrate, as I said, from the scriptures that that is exactly what is true. And I can hear the objections already. Tyler, Jacob was a hero. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's right in there. 
I am not that. Well, let's not worry about what I or you have to say. Shall we look at what God has to say about this? Let's take a look at the Psalms first. The Psalms are unique because the Psalms are God quite literally putting words into the mouth of his people. They are meant to be said and prayed and sung by you. So when you read the Psalms, they are often said in that first person, I and me and we. So as you read this, this is not just being written about the psalmist, but about whoever will sing this and speak this out. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, you know this, but hear it afresh today. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. The implication being, me too. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God saw that psalm and said, I want every one of my children to speak and own those words for themselves. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't you love hearing that too in a fresh translation, how it just, I was intricately woven in the depths of the earth, in the secret place. God was making you by hand, picked you, created you before you were a twinkle in anybody's eyes but his. Regardless of how you were born, can I say that? It doesn't matter what your parents have told you. Well, you were just an accident. You weren't supposed to be here anyway. Maybe when your dad got drunk, he would mouth off and say that to you. We never wanted to have you in the first place. I don't know what I got married for anyway. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had to marry that woman, and I could have run off and done what I wanted to do. doesn't matter. I even have some very dear personal friends of mine who were born as a result of rape. But the Lord looks at that and says, I saw you. I saw you. I handcrafted you. You're not damaged. You're not a mistake. You're not a failure. You're not damaged goods. Everything about you was planned by God beforehand. Where you would be born, your family, the race that you have, which is why we can't get on each other about that. Your gender, oh, brothers and sisters, I'm not going to get off into this, but if somebody has tried to convince you that you were born into the wrong body, I love you so much. Don't let anybody tell you that you're broken and that you're a mistake. God made you this way on purpose. The nation you were born in, your circumstances, poverty or wealth, the times in which you live. That was all ordained. I want you to repeat after me. This is the scripture and it's for you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Say it, come on. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not we, not they, I. You are not an accident. You are our first point tonight, created on purpose. Okay. So we all exist, God made us, all right, I can believe that. But it hasn't gone so well for me after I've been born. You're right. We were all born into the world, but it's full of sin and corruption. It's full of broken things, and some of us are very good at rattling off a million reasons why the world is not any good. And I'll say this, you are a victim of sin. People sin against you. You have had things done to you that God never intended, but that evil and wicked people have done to you, that you now have to carry for the rest of your life. I, I understand that. That's true. But I need to tell you the other half. You're also a perpetrator of sin. You are a sinner because you do those same things. 
If you perpetuate the cycle, you've become another cog in the machine. You're doing the same sins that have been done to you. There are people perhaps that have encountered you that have been shot off into the wrong direction. There are people whose days have been ruined and hearts have been broken because of you. There are things that you say and that you do that you might feel fully justified because of what happened to you, but you are also a perpetrator of sin. It doesn't come at you, it comes out of you. Haven't you found that to be true? Things that come out of you, that's what sin is. This is why we must be saved. That's the whole point of the church, isn't it? Saved from what? Well, saved from yourself, but also saved from the wrath of God. God can't allow that to continue. But he's so patient, he's given us thousands of years to hear his message of forgiveness. The good news that God sent Jesus to save us all. Oh, classic verse here, Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one may boast. You're like, I know that, yes, we're saved. But here's the question we're asking tonight. Is this just a blanket blessing for all of humanity? Yes, God died so that all could be saved, and a bunch of us will be saved, and hopefully I'll be one of those people. Well, God will do you one better than that. How about this? Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved you, not just so that you could sit and be saved, but because he has a reason. He created you for a reason. That reason was broken because of sin, so God stepped in to save you so that, according to verse 10, you could fulfill the works that he had prepared beforehand for you. He saved you for that reason, created in Christ Jesus for You were saved for something. We are not just a mass, a blob of Christians that get saved. God cares about you as an individual. Well, give me a verse for that. America's full of individualism. We don't understand the collective nature of the Bible. How about when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one? God chased after you the one. If it was just you, he would have still done it. He cares about you. He saved you, not just us, but you. He handcrafted you in the womb, and so also you were handpicked for salvation. If you are saved, if you're a Christian, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And if you say, well, I wish he would choose me. My brother or sister, I'm calling you right now. This is the voice of the Lord saying, I'm choosing you. It's time to come home. So that's our second thing. You were saved on purpose. Nobody gets saved by accident. All right, but I still don't see how that makes me something that is fearful and wonderful. Well, let's take a look at Jacob here. Jacob obviously was created on purpose. God will take good care of Jacob's soul despite his best efforts, but he also had a calling on his life. There was a purpose for him to fulfill as a patriarch of the people. Like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a hero. God picked him because he's a hero. Nope, you have been called to. You have a calling on your life. Nah, it's for pastors. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says, let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him. New King James says distributed, handed out to him and to which God has called him. Each one, meaning every individual in the church, has been told, do what you've been assigned and called to do. What's a calling? It's a divine mandate from heaven. 
Heaven has a job for you to do. We already saw this in Ephesians 2.10, right? You've got a divine to-do list, works prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. It's not just for heroes. It's for all of God's people. This is not just your career, by the way. Okay, I guess I'm called. and I'm looking around at my life, and I'm like, thanks, Lord. <laughs> this is the best you have for me. No, I'm not talking about your job. Those of us that have jobs and those of us that have callings, vocations that we love, we don't always get along, do we? Like, don't you just love to get up every morning? It's like, no, I do it for the money and for the food. I have to. Oh, I'm not talking about that, my brother or sister. I'm talking about the reason you're alive. What does your job have to do with that? Maybe something, but maybe not much. I'm talking about that God has a reason why he not only made you, but redeemed you and called you back to the purpose for which you were handcrafted in the first place. God's laid it all out beforehand, and it's your job to find where the stepping stones are and walk in that path. So you not only have been created on purpose or saved on purpose, you've been, number three, called on purpose. Let each one lead the, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, as we see in the, as Jacob's life moves on, God's going to show up several times and tell him, don't worry, Jacob, I'll be with you. I'll go before you. I'll take care of everything you need. I'll give Laban a dream that tells him, you better not hurt Jacob or I'm coming for you. God gave Jacob everything he needed to fulfill his calling. Well, is that true of us too? Has God just given us an impossible job and said, good luck? That's an easy one. Come on. Has God just given us an impossible job and said, good luck? No. Remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? The church was saved. Jesus had died and risen from the dead. Jesus had breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then before he ascended, he said, you're going to go to all the world and proclaim the gospel. And he said, but not yet. Tarry in Jerusalem until you've received the promise of my Father. And they probably wonder, well, what is that? The Holy Spirit, okay. But, you know, he already breathed on us. What is this? And you know the story, right? They were in the upper room praying, 10th day of prayer. And they're being faithful, they're being diligent, but maybe a few eyes were nodding, a few Eutychuses in the upper room. But then a wind began to blow, right? I bet you they heard it in the distance first. I bet you it started blowing in. And then they kind of, man, that is really some sandstorm blowing through here. And then they've got to speak up a little louder over it. And then the windows begin to rattle and shake. And now there's a tornado in the room. And then it begins to look like a flaming fire that begins to spread over each of them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to praise the Lord. And they were filled with boldness and joy and to speak in other tongues. And everybody outside is like, what is going on in there? And Peter comes out and says, this is what the prophet Joel has prophesied, that the last days have come and the Spirit has come upon his church. You read through the rest of the book of Acts. It is a partnership between the church and the Holy Spirit. They say in Acts 15, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Paul will say, the Holy Spirit didn't let me go there, but he sent me there. The Holy Spirit will speak. The Holy Spirit said, comma, quotation marks. He has lines. We have been given the power to fulfill the calling to which God has called us. You have the ability. In fact, maybe you don't, but you have somebody with you who does. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Ah, that was just for the early church. No. Acts 2.39, Peter said, this promise is for you 
that generation. And for your children, next generation. And all who are afar off, everybody outside of Jerusalem, and everyone whom the Lord our God will call. We just saw in 1 Corinthians 7 that if you're saved, you're called, which means the power that came down in the book of Acts is for you. So the Lord said, Jacob, I'll be with you, but with us, the Lord said, I will be in you. I will be upon you in power and glory. When you believe, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. The Lord, you might say, lit a fire on the altar of your heart. And the Lord wants to baptize you in the power of that spirit so that the fire that's lit on the altar just blazes out. And all of a sudden, you're able to do things with supernatural power. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. To how many? To each. That is, to everybody. For the common good, or you might say for the edification of all. To each. Everybody in this room has not only been given a job to do, but has been given supernatural power to do it. Maybe you sat at home and daydreamed about what you do with supernatural power. Well, here's the deal. You do have supernatural power. And better than that, God has picked out what he's going to do with it. And his ideas are so much better than yours. Anybody amens on that? The Lord's ideas are better? So, every Christian has been empowered by the Spirit to fulfill his calling, even you. God didn't send you out with no help. You have been specifically, number four, gifted on purpose. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we come kind of to the end of this and we say, all right, that's wonderful, but I have no idea why I'm alive. I believe that God made me. I believe that he's got me for a reason. I believe that I've been given everything I need in order to accomplish that purpose. I have no idea what that purpose is, right? We think that, okay, that would be great if I knew what it was. Well, Jacob's going to move on and God is going to tell him. He's going to find him at Bethel. He's going to tell him, go to Laban's house. He's going to tell him, time to come home from Laban's house. He's going to tell him, return to Esau. He's going to grab him and wrestle him to the ground and send him to his brother. He's going to be there every step of the way with him, telling him what to do. And maybe you doubt me because you have no clue what you're supposed to do. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the will of the Lord. God does not keep us in the dark about why he's called us and saved us. God, maybe even tonight, wants to shine a light on the nature of your calling and the reason that he saved you. Some of you are going to find out tonight why you're alive. Isn't that cool? That's kind of cool, I think. That's a Christian thing that we can say, but like, I mean, really, the Lord says, you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, what did Paul say? Colossians 1 verse 9, he prayed for the church in Colossae and said, we have not ceased to pray for you. Time out. When Paul prays for something, that's pretty good indication that it's something we should pray for too, right? Jesus said, if you ask anything according to my will, I will do it. And sometimes we stress out about, is this or is this not God's will? If it's in the Bible, pretty clear that that's God's will, right? Right? So let's take a look at what Paul prayed for. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prayed that the church would know what God's will is, knowledge. They would have wisdom of how to do it, and that they would have understanding of the reasons why. That's what Paul prayed for, and that's what has been preserved in Scripture for you to pray for. God's not going to be coy with your calling. Oh, he might only give you the next step or two, but God's not going to hide himself from you. 
How many times in the Bible does God say, seek me and you'll what? Find me. That's how God defines himself in distinction to the false gods. They've got ears, but they can't hear anything and mouths that they can't speak. I'm a living God. I hear and I speak to my people. Isaiah said, where else is there a God like you who answers the people who wait upon him? This is getting exciting, I think. He wants to let you know, just like he let Jacob know. This will require time for you taking the time to be alone with the Lord, to seek him in the scriptures. Find out what his will is about other things. And then let him lead you in prayer, talking to other believers that know the voice of the Lord already. And then stepping out in faith to find out what it is. All that we want to remind ourselves today is that the Bible promises that you will be our number five, informed on purpose. And that's our, that's our five things we've seen here. Number one, God created you on purpose. You didn't just happen, God made you. Number two, God saved you. He redeemed you from sin so that, number three, you could fulfill the purpose and the calling for which he had made you. Number four, he empowered you, gifted you, gave you everything you needed in order to fulfill that calling. And number five, he wants to tell you what it is. That's wonderful. God does everything with intention and will and purpose. You are no accident. You exist on purpose. And many saints, including several in the Bible, have a hard time receiving this word. Some of you are having a hard time receiving this right now. Jeremiah, the Lord said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah said, ah, Lord, I can't speak. I'm just a youth. I'm a kid. My dad's the priest. You want me to go prophesy against the temple? The Lord said to him, do not say I'm just a youth. Lord goes, that's a nice excuse, Jeremiah. I don't ever want to hear it again. For you will go to whom all I will send you. And you will say every word that I tell you, so don't be afraid of their faces. Was Moses afraid? Oh, yes, he was. First, he was a little too impetuous, wasn't he? He said, I got this God. And he went out and killed some Egyptian trying to raise up a slave rebellion. They didn't want anything to do with that. So 40 years later, God comes to him and says, burning bush, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he gave him five excuses. And you know what the last one was? I love the way the ESV puts it. He says, oh Lord, please send someone else. That's really what it boiled down to. He didn't want to go. And that's when God got mad. He said, Moses, I'll be with you. Just go. How about Gideon? Okay, Lord, I'll need a sign. Uh, the fleece. Oh, the fleece thing happened. Okay, well, you better do it twice. Just kept asking the Lord for signs and stuff. How about Saul? He was hiding in the baggage. His calling was waiting right over there, and he was hiding. Some of you are hiding in the luggage tonight. You know good and well what God has called you to do, and you're hiding. You're waiting. You're trying to keep a low profile because you think, I, I don't think I'm ready for that. God makes you ready, not you. And many Christians want to put a stop to this talk of individual calling entirely. They're sick of plan and a purpose talk. Oh, these teachers just talking to people about themselves and not enough about the Lord. Well, I think we've just been through the scriptures to show that that's exactly what the Bible teaches. But there's also cynical scientists in the world that have no patience with a belief in individual destiny. And usually this is put out in terms of scale, right? You want to play baseball. You know how many other kids want to play baseball? You know how many kids actually make it on the high school team and then make it to college and then make it into the minors and then make it to the majors? You got no chance, kid. Just too many people. 
or for countries. You think your country's so special? You don't think they think their country's special? There's 200-some countries in this world. What makes yours so great? Or even galaxies. Do you know how big the universe is? You, you, you see those graphs, right? It's, it's, it's a speck. It's a speck of a speck. What makes you think you matter in a universe that big? Sounds an awful lot like something the Bible says. David said that. If you're thinking along those lines, you have begun on a path of thinking that the Bible approves. we got to make sure we end up at the right destination. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Even in the Bible, God's people wonder why God cares. But the important difference is in how this question is framed. We continue to verses 5 and 6. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. David looked at the bigness of the world and, and couldn't believe that God would choose him. We see the bigness of the world and conclude we don't matter. The Bible sees the bigness of the world and affirms that we do matter and then endeavors to understand why. Can I say that again? It's a huge difference. The world sees the bigness of it and concludes that we don't matter. The Bible sees the same bigness of the world, affirms that we do matter, and then endeavors to understand why. And we might say why? Because of what we just read The Bible has told us, God has told us in no uncertain terms that he has created and called you individually. Why would God do that for me? You ready for this? Because he loves you. The God of the universe loves you like a father loves his child. And the Lord looks upon you that way. So that's why when he made you, he didn't just say, all right, here's the process. It'll spit out some people later. We'll see if there are any good ones. No, it says he handcrafted you. He created you on purpose with all of your little quirks and all of your little appearance and all of everything. He made you on purpose. But the world was broken by sin. But the Lord loved you so much, he couldn't let you stay in that sin. So he spent his only son to die on the cross to pull you out of that sin And so when that happened, the Lord reminded you and brought you back to your calling, the reason that you were created in the first place. But knowing your weakness like a good father, he gave you all the power you would need to accomplish it. And now he wants to tell you why, hallelujah, the despair of the 21st century has met its match in the love of Almighty God. Amen? There is joy in the Lord. There's joy there that no circumstance can touch. And if we are so loved, isn't there no better reason to get out of bed in the morning? If I'm alive because God made me alive and I'm doing things that God made me to do and if I do those things, I'm guaranteed to have supernatural power. I don't wanna sleep. I wanna get up and get to work. I want it to be a race to the judgment seat of Christ when I'll receive my reward. And the Lord says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You are part of an epic, incredible, galactic story. You are. And that's not just fluff that we made up. It's what God has said in his word. 
As much as we wanted to tell our kids they were individually special, if you don't ground it on the foundation of Scripture and the love of Jesus Christ, they'll reject it. But we get to live in the glory of the calling and love of God because of what Jesus has done. We've seen it tonight from the Scriptures that this doctrine of the plan and the purpose is true. And yet, when we leave this place, we're going to face the devil's hammer again, aren't we? And I want to take a minute to address those of you that, are, that might still be skeptical. So there are some people that make it their business to hammer home that bleak worldview. Lawrence Krauss, a famous physicist, said that anybody that teaches their children that God created the world is a child abuser. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Telling them that God made them special and loves them very much. Child abuse! <laughs> Listen to me. There might be a young man especially here that needs to hear this tonight. I do not see pessimism that guts out all the best parts of life as marks of a high intellect. This is what smart people think. Yes, and they're miserable. So how smart are they? Because that's not science, by the way, anyway. It's philosophy. We say, well, he knows a lot of how, about how salamanders work, so he probably knows how life and God and the universe works too. How about you listen to what God has actually said? He's placed it in your hands. God told us to judge teachings and teachers by their fruits, did he not? Jesus in Matthew 7. If belief, therefore, in nothing but the cold loneliness of space leads to existential horror and widespread pill addiction and suicide, then it's best just to reject it out of hand. If that's where that leads, no thank you. You need a better way, and the gospel is that better way. God made the world. He made you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. He sent his son Jesus to help you. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower you. You have a destiny and a future and a hope, the Bible says, that will never disappoint. Like Jacob, you have a path to tread for the glory of God and for the good of your own soul. And maybe there's somebody here that just like, I wish I could believe that. I want it. I want it so desperately, but I'm being held back by thinking about what my buddies will say or that book I read or that podcast I listened to. Can I at least say this? Regardless of everything we've said, people that believe this stuff become better people. They live fulfilled, joyful, peace-filled, hopeful lives. So you might as well start there. Because what you'll discover along the way is it's not just something that makes your life better, it's absolutely true. How do you know? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And how do I know that? Because we are here as the church, the living 2,000-year-old witness and testimony to the fact that he rose again on the third day and everything he said is true, which means that God loves you. Can I close with Zephaniah 3.17? When's the last time you read a verse from Zephaniah? Some of y'all, Sunday morning, great. This is why you go to Calvary Chapel, by the way. We go verse by verse. Sometimes I forget that's even, in, oh, Zephaniah, right, that's there too. Verse three, chapter three, verse 17. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. We sang it tonight, the king is in the room. He's here. A mighty one who will save. You need somebody to save you who's mighty. Not somebody that died and couldn't save themselves. You need a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Like a kid on Christmas morning.
He will quiet you by his love. Some of you are so anxious and so stressed out and so fearful, you don't even need all your problems to be resolved. You just want it to be quiet in your mind. Oh, the Lord will quiet you by his love. And it says he will exult over you with loud singing. Can I paint a picture for you that may happen one day? Imagine we're in heaven. Everything is, everything is over. We're in eternity. And we've written this amazing new song and symphony for the Lord. And we spend time singing and pouring out our praise. And he sits and listens. And the song comes to a conclusion. And the Lord stands. And every breath is held. And the Lord Jesus begins to sing over us a song of celebration, a song of love and joy that says you were worth it. And the scars in my hands and my feet and my side, I'd do it all over again if it meant I could be here with you. And we'll sit there and hear the Lord God sing over us. You're not an accident. You exist on purpose. And God loves you very very much. Shall we bow our heads and pray? There are so many that are thinking to themselves, if only it were true. You hear the tug. You can feel it, can't you? you can, it's like somebody's got hold of your heart and is pulling it forward. That's God. That's God. If anybody is here or watching on the stream and you're thinking, I've been praying for so long, God, give me a sign. This is it. He's talking to you right now. It's time to step out in faith because I'll tell you what will happen. The moment you receive the fact that God loves you and sent his son to die on the cross for you and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will not only be saved, you'll be free. For everyone whom the son sets free is free indeed. So we went through five things tonight as we continue to pray and sing together. Do you need to acknowledge and remember the fact that you were in fact created on purpose? And stop letting those haunting refrains of nothing really matters anyway. Oh, it's so sarcastic. It's not Jesus. Do you need to just say, all right, I'm willing to accept that that is true? We were saved on purpose. Some of you all need to be saved. You must come and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Repent, turn from your old ways and come receive the forgiveness and love that only he can provide. Some of you need to say yes to your calling. You know just what it is. Ah, I was just a kid when the Lord said that to me. It probably wasn't true. God calls lots of kids. Read your Bible. Why? Because they listen. And he hasn't let you go, has he? He still keeps pulling on it. And you still can't quite fully commit because you know what you need to do next. Commit to your calling. Number four, some of y'all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's got supernatural power for you. The personal presence of the living God ablaze in your heart. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tonight would be a great night for that. And number five, some of you just need to know what to do. The Lord wants to tell you. I don't believe the Lord would have pushed me so hard in my preparation to give this message if he didn't want to let somebody know why you're alive, why you were saved, and what he wants you to do next. Somebody already knows. 
and you're asking over and over again, is that it, God? Is this you? Is this you speaking to me? Yes, it is. That's the Lord. And the rest of us must pray that the joy of the Lord will be our strength and that we will speak with that same love and celebration and walk around with the song in our heart of the gospel and to remember that there's a Lord in heaven who exalts over us with loud singing. Let's just take a minute as we begin to sing together and let the Lord speak to your heart. Maybe you need to come forward and you need to come kneel just to kind of give a, a, an outward demonstration that I'm all in, Lord. Just let the Lord tell you what, what he's trying to communicate to you tonight.